Okay, welcome to the Drop Zone. My name is Dylan DeChair. I'm talking to Sean Zock. I am currently in a rest stop, a truck stop in southern Oregon, chugging my way towards Torrey Pines. Uh, Sean is posted up in Chicago, and together we are going to break down some burning questions from this week's U.S. Open. Sean, how are we doing? I'm also at a rest stop. It's just more permanent. Yours is a little more, a little more mobile. Mine is it. Mine's my dwelling, my normal resting place. I think the audio could be pretty good in this van. Actually, this may need to become more of a permanent thing. Mobile studio. Um, but you know, morale is decent here. It's been very, very rainy. Uh, the van life is not as good once you just get absolutely drenched at Chambers Bay. So the whole place smells a little bit like, uh, wet shoes here, but overall we'll, we'll make it eventually to the U S open. Um, Sean, what do you want to talk about this week? You want to talk about the, the weekend that just was, you get a chance to watch a lot of golf this weekend. I watched Chesson Hadley puke all over himself, unfortunately. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, I wish uh, I wish I had nicer words for Chesson Hadley, but you know he kind of called it like it was too. He didn't want to say that he choked, but he he did want to address that he he didn't play well. I mean, he went bogey, mm-hmm. bogey, bogey to finish. He said his shot on eighteen was inexcusable. Uh, the way he played seventeen was kind of all over the place. Uh, around the green and yeah it's it kind of felt a lot like lexi thompson a week prior where it happens over the course of a couple holes and you can just tell the moment the exact moment when a pga uh or a, a, a an elite professional realizes that they are they're going to lose this thing it's 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 leaking away from them you can see it in their face you can see it really most obviously in their putting stroke. We saw a lot of Lexi Thompson-esque putts by Chesson Hadley coming down the stretch. And honestly, the first one of the day was like at the second hole. He made bogey on uh, the easiest hole in the course, a par five, and his his par putt was like a 15-footer that he hit about 13 feet. So <laughs> you can kind of tell sometimes when these pros, you watch a lot of golf, you can see where their eyes are going kind of how fidgety they might be with their putting stroke, just how non-confident their strut looks. We saw all of that from Chesson Hadley. It's funny, I was I watched a bunch of French Open this week, and I was struck by these top tennis pros, you know, especially the guys that are always there at the end. Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, although, you know, he, he pulled out of the French Open. But especially watching Djokovic in the final, I was just blown away by the way these guys don't really seem to choke and there's something about tennis that's similar to golf you know it's very individualistic um it's really just you out there on your own but they just have so many opportunities to get tight and hit bad shots and like let the pressure get to them and get unnatural but they just don't seem to do it and golf you just see it so much more that i was struck by like yeah, you don't see the effects of pressure in in an as obvious a way in tennis because I guess that you know it's reactionary, it's just faster. Um, you're you're returning shots, but I don't know golf. We we keep seeing these people get exposed because of the nature of the game. I guess I don't know. Did There's nowhere Novak? to go. 
Yeah, there's nowhere to go but forward on the golf course. You're, you're only reacting to your own mistakes. Of course, you know, there's a caddy involved, but they don't always step in at the right time. They don't always do things at the right, you know, say the right things. In golf, you have to keep moving. There's a, a, a shot clock, theoretically. There's your playing partners in the group who are putting pressure on you, but like in a much more subtle way. So yeah, uh, I felt like Zitsipas was was actually kind of in control, mm-hmm. and it was the perfect example for him of you know when a golfer reaches the 68th hole and he has a three or four shot lead, and he realizes, look, I have to take this thing 72 holes. 68 is not enough. I think the only. Um tennis golf comparison then we'll move on from this whole thing but i think you can see it occasionally when guys are serving that's like the closest equivalent to a golf shot i think is the just the service especially the second serve and there was a, a crucial late double fault that sissy pass had in the final you know that kind of just came out of nowhere and you just chalk that up to being a little bit uncomfortable a little bit out of your element uh, and grasping for something and Chesson definitely had a couple double faults down the stretch. Um, but shout out to Garrick Higo. Big week for the South Africans and the, the golf community. He really, really backdoored his way into this victory. Um, you know, the golf data guys were talking about how there was essentially no chance that 11 under was going to be good enough to win. Uh, certainly Dustin Johnson was coming down the stretch. He was at 11 under. He felt like he needed to make more birdies to have any chance to win. Instead, he made a triple and ended up finishing three shots out of the playoffs. So uh, just a weird pre-U.S. Open tournament week. I don't know if there's anything to really take away from it. No, I don't really think there's a lot to take away from it. It's not like I believe in Garrick Higo's chances at Torrey more just because he happened to be, you know, gifted a victory, kind of crowned, really. I mean, he shot a back nine 32, bogey-free, so, like, that's – that's winning golf, right? But he was kind of gifted this by Chesson Hadley, kind of gifted it by DJ, by Bo Van Pelt. Every single one of those leaders backed up to him. Harris English vanished. He was Mr. Lips on the back nine. I thought he was going to win the tournament. He wasn't even close. Yeah. So, I mean, Garrick Higo, 22 years old, South African kid. He's won on the European Tour a bunch. He's now going to probably play exclusively on the PGA Tour. That's how these things go. Um, he's now ranked inside the top 40 in the world, even though he's probably not a, a 40, a top 40 player to be, uh, brutally honest, but it's good, uh, for him. It's fun to have young players play well, but this was a small field. So let's stop talking about it. Huh? All right. Yeah. You sound less than enthused about the inaugural Palmetto championship. Let's move to the West well, coast. And probably, probably the only Palmetto championship. This was supposed to be the Canadian Open. I missed the Canadian Open. Let's get to the West Coast. What do you got for us in the U.S. Open? Well, honestly, I don't feel ready for this major championship. I don't, I don't know if we've built in enough time between the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open, which is so funny because at one point in, in uh, the not-too-distant memory, we are like, this is going to be perfect. We've got one big event every single month. We've got the Masters and then the PGA and then the U.S. Open and the British Open. But gosh, this 
it felt like the Phil Mickelson victory hangover lasted longer than normal. And uh, we haven't really, you know, the memorial kind of ended very oddly. I think we'd maybe, maybe be a little more hyped for John Rahm this week if he was actually able to finish that event and add a victory to his total. So it definitely feels kind of weird. Um, I think, completely honest, like people would maybe be a little more hyped by a different U.S. Open venue. We saw mm -hmm. this course five months ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't think, again, being a bit brutal here, I don't think a lot of people love Tory Pines. Now, this is a positive podcast. We're going to be <laughs> optimistic this week. But uh, it's a it's a brutal golf course. The rough is going to be long as hell. We've seen some videos already of that. Um, but to me, it just really feels like it's cut from that U.S. Open cloth of you have to hit the ball as far as you can and hack it out of the rough, and that's probably going to be good enough to get on these greens and whoever puts well and drives well will win much like Bryson last year, who was first uh, in strokes gained off the tee and then first in strokes gained on uh, pu putting. So like you drive it best, you, you put it best. You'll probably win a U.S. open. The thing about the, that I think is strange about this week is, you know, and, and you can tell this looking at the odds page, no one knows who the hell is supposed to win this golf tournament. John Rahm is like the consensus favorite because he's, you know, played well at the Memorial. He's got great course history at the, that the farmers and playing at Torrey Pines in the past. But look, when Tiger won here in 2008, I don't know exactly the odds going into the week, but probably close to even. It was probably close to Tiger versus the field. Maybe he was as high as like plus 200 or something. This week we have John Rahm, who's 10 to one. We have no one else better than 16 to one. Everyone is just kind of thrown in that general jumble of, yeah, that guy is pretty good. I could see him playing well there. Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, DJ, Spieth, Xander. Rory is like being slept on. Justin Thomas. And, you know, there's these guys that we know are really good that we wouldn't be surprised if they did play well. But there's just no indication right now of who is going to actually do that. Um, it, it, it is incredibly bizarre that the favorite is someone who's never won a major. The favorite mm -hmm. at a major is someone who's never won a major. That doesn't happen. Like I know, you know, we've, we've talked about this in majors of the past maybe 12 months or so that uh, it feels like it's up for grabs. That's okay. That's not abnormal that it's up for grabs, that it could be any one of five guys or any one of 40 guys. But what's abnormal is that the guy that, is expected to contend is someone who's never won in a major and frankly has never really contended in a major. Now, granted, this is the cover uh, athlete, the cover player of our June uh, U.S. Open preview. It's John Rahm. Like, he is someone who we should reasonably expect, but he hasn't gotten it done. So it feels like we are at a, a very abnormal place where the most expected player is someone who hasn't won a major. And then the next most maybe is Xander. He also hasn't won a major. Yeah. You know, the next, next man up is probably Brooks Kepka, who missed the cut last week. Cause he couldn't hit a putt, you know, anywhere near the hole. So like <laughs> the, the next person that everyone wants to talk about is Phil Mickelson, who's 50 years old and had probably the most ridiculous major victory 
outside of Tiger's Masters win in the past decade. So like, I want to basically say exactly what you said. We are at an incredibly weird spot. We are. Just a weird, weird spot. One of the biggest things is this Brooks Bryson storyline. Whether you're into it or not, whether you are, you know, like this pseudo feud or don't really care. Now they're going to play golf and they are, according to Vegas, basically have the same chance of doing well this week. If you were to pick one of the two guys, who would it be? <sighs> Who's going to finish higher on the leaderboard? Um, I have told myself now since Kiowa, I will pick, I will pick Brooks Kepka to win every major for the next 12 months. Mm. So that's the answer. I don't like it though. Because this is the exact golf course that Bryson thrives on. We've kind of said that Bryson should play well at Augusta. Like his, his like true bombing ability, putting ability should perform well there. It just hasn't. But this course, Torrey Pines, my gosh. There's like no, there's pretty much no trouble. Yeah. You could obviously get in trouble. You can, you can leave a ball in the ravine by overcooking a draw. Um, you can obviously land in the water hazard short of 18. Uh, but the reality <laughs> is, is there's not a lot of trouble out there and you can be a bit errant and still be fine. You can still make a lot of looks at the green by playing from the next fairway over the rough between holes with, so with that in mind, like he's going to hit driver everywhere. Everyone's going to hit driver everywhere. And so I kind of tend to trust the person who hits driver the best person like him, person like DJ, but DJ's not playing well. So yeah, I don't know. It's a very good question. I think it's perfect that their odds are the same. Um, I can't pick against Brooks. I've told myself I won't do it. He reaches some other ridiculous level in majors, some level of focus that annoys the hell out of me, but it's real. It happens. It's illogical. I mean, look, all the, the statistical breakdown um, would tell you that Bryson is the better pick here, even though Bryson has not been in his best form either. Um, Brooks, it's purely just history, and we can't, we can't, can't, can't sleep on Brooks. It's just, you know, we're stupid if we do. Um, I think I like Brooks's chances here, just because I think he, his putter is going to come alive. I'm not sure Bryson is uh, is going to putt that well this week. Um, is there any course or tournament that you think this compares well to is the best equivalent just looking at the farmers in january or is it like looking at another u.s open venue from the past how should viewers make sense of this golf course i think it's got to be a combination of the two because in part this is the same golf course and uh the weather is going to be gorgeous all week so that's different like it shouldn't be very chilly you know, even for the morning rounds at, at Torrey Pines, um, the, the course is going to be more firm. The greens will be more firm. So that will be different. But it's also still like some of the same shots, basically hitting the same irons into the par threes. The wind is not expected to be up. Um, so there's that to think about. Uh, you mentioned Beth Page Black, which feels similar. A U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Uh, course, a, a major championship course. The rough is grown up a lot. There's going to be forced carry 
to clear <laughs> to clear the rough into the fairways. The fairways do get cinched in a little bit um, when they host a major championship, and the course just gets tipped out to the max. I mean, it's going to be more than 7,700 yards. So I think that's spot on comparing it to Beth Page Black. Someone who whoever plays really well out of the rough is going to do well here. That's Brooks Kepka. We see he's got one of the more vertical swings um, with his irons than the rest of the PGA Tour. That portends extremely well out of the rough. Bryson, very similar as well. So, gosh, I hate to talk about only these guys, but those are the dudes who play well in long, rough scenarios. Yeah, I think that's right. And I was looking back at this Beth Page 2019 leaderboard, it turned into a, such a two-horse race. Well, at first, for a while, it looked like a one-horse race. It was just Kepka and then everybody else. And then DJ made a pretty strong move on Sunday, almost caught him. Um, but if you look at the guys behind the two of them on that leaderboard, you had an interesting tie for third. Patrick Cantlay, Jordan Spieth, mm. Matt Wallace all played well there. And then we had Luke List in sixth, who I was getting ready to pick as a sleeper this week, and I realized he's not actually in the field, so maybe not Luke List. But uh, there were some other guys that played well there. Rory was in the top ten. Gary Woodland was in the top ten, who'd be interesting uh, to, to take a peek at this week. Obviously has had some U.S. Open success. And then Abraham Answer was also in the he top He continues to not make any um, sense. He doesn't make any sense when it comes to his performances in majors. He has been great he, in these majors. He sh- he defies <laughs> all logic, and he plays well in these some of these big venues. I mean, you know, you'd think that Abe Anser and Rory McIlroy would not necessarily have the same game, but they play well in some of the same spots. You look at Quail Hollow, Rory won. Abe Anser was right behind him. So, I mean, he's a guy that you got to look at this week i would say if you're looking past that first wave of of uh superstars i'm all in on young hove h to the ov victor hoveland yes you've spent some time with victor hoveland haven't you he's just one of the best drivers of the golf ball on the earth he probably will be his entire life he hits it long he hits it very straight like his his tee game is very very similar Tita Green, really, to John Rahm. And so if John Rahm is going to be this dude who has all this success at Torrey and this person that we look to because he drives it so well, you know, if Hovland has a good putter, he will contend. He's having a great year. He played well at Torrey. He was the one who was giving Patrick Reed a real run for his money earlier this year. It was Hovland. We can't forget about that guy. We won't forget about him, really. Uh, but, you know, it, it would – it would do a lot of resetting of the the youth class if Hovland would bag a major this year, this week. All right, Sean, with that in mind, let's buzz through a quick round of buy or sell. I want you to tell me if someone's stock is too low or too high or, I guess, just about right. Uh, one guy I'm really curious about, Wilco Nienaber, famously the now longest hitter on the PGA Tour, I guess. He's just sailing past Bryson DeChambeau and kind of took the uh, the Palmetto by storm. Is Wilco's stock this week too low, too high? you buying it's or selling? It's still too low. I mean, he had a really great week in which a lot of people were writing about him uh, and kind of upping his stock. You know, people that had bought in weeks and months ago, they knew what they were getting then. 
and now it's becoming a more uh, of a public reality here because he's playing in the states. Uh, I think he'll play well this week. Data Golf uh, listed him as uh, compared to other courses the best course fit. Basically, like if you wow. look at your game and how you have fared at other courses, this course will be the best course for you compared to the rest of the field. Mm. Um, and I think by like at least one uh, standard deviation, like he, if he doesn't play well, it's probably because he just, just didn't hit the ball very well. But if, if all yeah, goes, if sure. all goes well in his world, he'll definitely make the cut. Uh, he's on the way up 21 year old South African buy him while you can, because these majors, when everybody's watching, you may not be able to buy much more stock on Monday. Yeah, I'm all in on this, especially, you know, not necessarily to win, but you look at the prices that he's at. He's still down in that 300, 400 to 1 territory. So if you pick this guy to finish in the top 20, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. All right, buying or selling your Phil Mickelson stock. He's back home in San Diego this week. There's obviously going to be, you know, as much hype as possible around this guy. Does Phil, I mean, yeah. What, what do we think about Phil? Sell. You got to sell. Sell. Sell, sell, sell. The guy's stock shot through the roof a month ago. Um, and le- similar to, ne- to Nineber, the like course fit for Phil does make sense. He's played well at Torrey in the past. San Diego dude, all the good vibes. He's probably playing the best golf right now that he has in, say, the last two years. But that's just still not good enough, man. This is a field of 156 people who all qualified through one avenue or another to be here. So truly, you know, the PGA Championship likes to say it has the best field in golf, but the U.S. Open has the most earned field in golf. Like the people that are playing well recently to come in here and burn the doors down. So Phil is going to really have to work hard just to make the cut, you know? Like the advantages that might have worked for him at Kiowa Island with the wind being up, him getting a pretty good uh, draw from from the weather, all that stuff is out the window now. It's easy to forget about it. It's different here. <laughs> Sell that stock. Yeah, I'm selling with you. I think that uh, Kiowa had a little bit more space off the tee in certain landing areas that I think Phil was really able to strategize his way around that golf course i just don't think there's going to be the same level of opportunity at tory pines i think he's more likely to miss the cut than he is to contend i hope i'm wrong um but that's the way i feel sean this is an honest podcast patrick reed the last man to win at tory pines buying or selling i'm buying oh patrick reed patrick reed has had a very good year and in this is exactly why, as we said on the last podcast, he's going to be on that Ryder Cup team. He just finished in the top five at the Memorial. Uh, he was in the top 20 at the PGA Championship. He's had a couple top 10s since, uh, since March. So, like, the guy's playing good golf again. He's kind of avoided, uh, you know, the drama maybe is the way to, to put it, mm-hmm. you know. Because there was a lot of drama following him at the beginning of 2021 and the beginning of 2020. And just like 2020, he started to slip back through the cracks and people start start forgetting about him. And he's a top 10 player in the world. That's the bottom line. That, the best way to stay out of the drama is to, to not win, I guess, especially for Patrick Reed. I'm selling my Patrick Reed stock. 
I don't think he's going to hit enough greens this week. I don't think it's going to be as easy to scramble and get up and down as it was in January. Uh, all right, how about Patrick Reed's Ryder Cup famous opponent, Rory McIlroy, comes in <laughs> as, I think, the eighth favorite on the board. That seems pretty low. Are you buying or selling your Rory stock? We're holding Rory stock. Hold. Yep. We're not buying any more of it because, gosh, it can get overvalued. But we're not selling it entirely, mainly because he's Rory McIlroy. And I know that ain't worth a whole lot to me, but it's worth a lot to a lot of people. And he did happen to win an event last month. Uh, this course sets up well for him. I don't care if he's got the major bugaboo following him around every corner. The course sets up well for him. I could totally see him going out and shooting 68 in the first round and just kind of casually reminding people that the original bomb and gouge was him. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, maybe it was Tiger, actually, but he followed in those footsteps, bomb and gouged his way all over the place on soft golf courses. Um, yeah, is he a good enough putter? On these greens, you know, there's some aspects of Poana that make it a bit of an equalizer because there's going to mm -hmm. be good breaks and bad breaks around every single cup. Um, I could see Rory playing well, much as that uh, pains me to admit it because I, I've been on the sell Rory bandwagon lately, but I think we're holding on to whatever sliver of stock we've got left in him. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm going to buy just a little tiny bit of Rory stock. I can't get completely on board because unfortunately if Rory missed the cut this week I would no longer be shocked uh that's just you know kind of a major championship theme we've seen much too much from him of late but at the same time look if we learn anything from Quail Hollow if you can get Rory at 20 to 1 in that department at any PGA yeah. Tour event especially one that favors big hitters you know you, you got to do it. So I'm, I'm in on Rory. Xander Shoffley, the local kid, Sean, he's had a mixed history at Torrey Pines. He's had a really good history with U.S. Open golf, with major championship golf, but obviously not with finishing the deal. He is listed as one of the favorites this week. He's in that 16 to 1 clump buying or selling on Xander Shoffley? I'm going to buy, which is, it feels weird. It feels like one of those overpriced stocks that uh, buying you, high. Get a, you get a little afraid of, but the, the room for potential is still pretty great with this guy. You know, Xander uh, is a very, just, he's just all around one of the best players on the PGA tour. Just every single aspect of his game is really, really good. And I think that's why he played well eventually at Torrey Pines. We talked to him, last year after winged foot and he was like yeah man there's gonna be a lot of pressure on me there's gonna be a lot of focus on me and it i don't really think there has been that much focus on him there's been some that's what happens when you're the number six player in the world and you're you you grew up playing this golf course but i don't think the expectation is that he's he's going to be the champion on sunday so i i think there's yeah. still room to buy up xander stock I guess with Xander, everything is just in such moderation that it's sort of impossible for him to get overexposed right now. He's a pretty chill dude. He doesn't really do social media. He has not at all bought into this PIP program. Um, so he's done some interviews. He's showed off you know, his personality, but his personality is just not really controversial or inflammatory. So I think everyone has just kind of landed on, yeah, we like Xander. 
Um, I am, I'm, I'm holding Xander stock. I've picked him to win like a, a bunch of majors the last yeah. year or two. Dude, you couldn't have uh, more Xander stock. Sell it off. I've got a lot back. of it. I've got a lot of Xander stock. It's risen. You know, I like the place where it is. I might sell off just, you know, a little bit to, uh, to buy up some, some more Wilco Needauber stock. Whew. I'm going to stumble over that name for a while. Uh, buy up a little Taylor Pendrith stock, but, uh, but yeah, I like the position we're at with Xander Shoffley. All right. Just a couple more, Sean, Jordan Spieth, the biggest question probably still at any golf tournament. How is Jordan Spieth going to play? What do you think this week? I'm selling, selling, I'm selling Spieth because Spieth has started to annoy me the way he mm. is, is playing his golf. He is un, undoubtedly one of the most fun golfers to watch play, but I have recently decided I need to watch him on mute because he is complaining over every single shot, whether the wind hits it, every putt that doesn't break exactly where he believes it to. There are bad breaks at the U.S. Open. That's the bottom line. You know, 21-year-old Jordan Spieth at Chambers Bay had some breaks go his way, but he was a different person, a different golfer back then. This version of Jordan Spieth does not handle the bad breaks very well. He doesn't. Mm. He can bounce back with the best of them from a bogey, but on on bumpy Poana greens, you think his like mental psyche is going to be great when when you know a perfectly uh, struck putt just kind of doesn't fall in the cup and maybe some of the Poana clumps push it away from from the hole. Like that's going to happen to Jordan Spieth, and it, I I know his release is sometimes just like talking to get it out there, but it doesn't always work everywhere. It definitely did not work for him at Pebble Beach in 2019. And uh, I know things are different right now, but speed stock is pretty high, and I would like to sell some of it. All right. I'm aligned with you here. I think Jordan Spieth makes the weekend. I think he plays fine. I think it's you know sort of a Kiowa-esque performance where he's at the edge of contention but never quite gets there. Um, all right, Sean. Finally, I just want to ask you if you have any stock that you would just like to buy up from the rest of the board any stocks that you've been kind of yeah you know, poking around on google looking at the financials i don't know anything about stocks so i can't <laughs> extend this metaphor much further but you get the idea yeah the revenue sheets uh are one thing we could look at uh i'm buying up i'm buying up two two penny stocks one of them is brian Harmon, who Ooh. is is technically playing the best golf of his life. He's kind of sustained a really high level of play ever since about March. Uh, Brian Harmon notably was the second place finisher behind Brooks Kepka at Aaron Hills and is a very different golfer than Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and all these long hitters. But he's, he's just a crafty dude, and he's gutty, and you never know with Brian Harmon because he's a pretty good putter when he gets going. And then the other penny stock that I'm buying probably won't have much fluctuation this week, probably predicted to be right around the cut line, but you could. he's been playing really good golf lately. That's Cameron Young. Cameron mm. Young, he's won, he won back-to-back events in the Corn Ferry Tour. One of them was here in... Illinois, just north of here in uh, Glenview. I went there and watched him close it out at the Evans Scholar Invitational. You know, he was kind of, it, it was funny scene, and I, I'm probably giving this way too much credit, but 
Nick Hardy was in the final pairing with Cameron Young. Cameron Young started with a, a three-shot lead. And Nick Hardy, being the Illinois alumni, he had everybody there following him. Because he was also born, I think, in Northbrook and grew up near uh, the Evanston area. So he, he had at least 200, maybe 300 people following him. No one was there to see Cameron Young. And what did Cameron Young do? He went three under through three of the first three holes, basically just stomped on Nick Hardy's dreams that day, stomped on the dreams of all the people following. When he gets going, he, he, I mean, he's going to be on the PGA Tour next year. You guys will recognize this name in, I guess, only probably three or four months when he's playing a bunch of fall season events. Cameron Young is really good, and gosh, you could buy the stock for a penny. And so I'd probably... Probably go in deep and just hope he, he becomes like a, a top 10 uh, backdoor kind of finish this week and uh, the stock is through the roof. Absolutely love that pick. You actually stole that one from me. I had Cameron Young deep in my research here. Um, Taylor Pendrith, I sort of dropped that name earlier, but he's a guy that snuck inside the top 40 at Wingfoot. He's going to be a PGA Tour pro next year. He's a He was also on the leaderboard at the Evans Scholar Invitational. There you go. A big hitting Canadian probably grew up playing hockey. So I like, I just like these big brawny dudes this week. I like Wilco Ninaber. I like Taylor Pendrith. I like some of these guys. One other guy who's flying under the radar, whose stock is in an extremely unknowable position, but he's still outside the 200 to one mark. Matthew Wolf. Uh, I don't really want to speculate on what, what our boy Matthew Wolf has been going through. You know, I know he took some time away from the course. We hope everything's going well with him. I'm not sure you should count on him to win this golf tournament, but if you're looking at someone that finished in solo second the last time we played a U.S. Open just a number of months ago, I mean, it's sort of crazy that we've just forgotten about him. Hoping to chat with him this week when we get down there, um, see what he's been up to, see how he's feeling, see how everything's going. But hey, it wouldn't be a shocker if he played all right, if he had a, a, a couple good days down here at Torrey Pines. And and uh, so we'll see. All right. Well, let's talk about the course for just a brief moment. For anyone who's listening and doesn't really know Torrey Pines, one, that's surprising. But two, uh, it's going to play differently than you're used to seeing it, right? Dylan, what's your favorite hole out there? Oh, my favorite hole. Um. I really do like that opening stretch. I mean, the first hole, the way it faces out against the water is cool. Two and three are cool, but I like the fourth hole, which plays right up against the ocean there. Um, You're up against the cliffs. I like the way it fades pretty quickly from the fairway over the edge of the cliffs. Uh, It's a beefy par four. Um, It's going to give these guys a challenge if the wind is coming uh, out of the north, I guess. So if it's playing it all into the wind, that's going to be a, a really brawny hole. Um, and it's just so scenic. We, we've snuck out there a couple times and ended up playing that hole kind of at sunset. And it's really a tough spot to beat. I think Torrey Pines, if you took it away from the location it's in, would not be the golf course that it is, would not be perceived in the same way. But look, you're right on the edge of the Pacific Ocean. And it's awfully nice, especially on a nice day. Um, what's your favorite hole? Let's just let's let's let's. Uh, my favorite hole is thirteen, but let's reroute it. Oh, that's my idea. 
Yeah. The seventh hole at Torrey Pines is a great hole, and it should be the first hole at Torrey Pines. Oh. The, the, the reason why I want to do this is because I think – I think your point about the opening stretch at Torrey Pines being your favorite stretch is accurate. I think a lot of people like it. It's the one that actually gets caked in sun as the, uh, as the sun goes down. Those are the best holes to play at sunset. The irony here is that for you and me, when, uh, when Reese Jones was remodeling a lot of the golf course, they were starting people on the seventh mm-hmm. hole. We started on the seventh hole. That's why I kind of loved the course so much because our experience with, with it was kind of maybe how it should be. So the seventh hole, par four, eighth hole, par three, ninth hole, uh, beefy, beefy par five, tenth hole is a good, you know, kind of tough four, 11, 12 and 13 run up along each other. Um, so those holes would all be within the first six holes. It's kind of a pretty beefy start. And then the finishing stretch would be uh, three, which is really good, that downhill par three. Suddenly, that's the 15th hole. Mm-hmm. Then the fourth hole, your favorite would be number 16. Then the fifth hole would be 17. And then 18 would be this, the par five sixth, the short par five gettable bar five they kind of like cinch in in the the rough on each side you have drivers uh bunkers you can drive in along the left and then in a pretty great bunkering around the green and the classic like sloped back to front green you you would love to see people making eagle there it's so much better than i think the actual 18th hole in which the lake is or the the pond is actually a lot tinier than people give credit for and people kind of just a throw these long irons and bound over the green and uh, a green that's not exactly super receptive to long shots. It's not that great of a par five uh, finisher for the tournament for, for my money. What do you think about that? Re-rubbing? Fully endorse. The, the one interesting wrinkle is that this week they're playing number six as a par four, uh, which if you are a mortal and you have played yeah. Torrey Pines, it does not obviously strike you as a par four from the back tees, but I think they're going to move it up slightly. I love the idea, though, of keeping those tees all the way back and then having a scorable par five to finish because that is what they have right now. It does go up right towards the clubhouse. The 18th hole is is a microcosm for Torrey Pines because it's cool, but without the fanfare of the U.S. Open and without the history that Tiger Woods brought to that hole, I don't think yes. we would see it in the same way. Now, I don't want to dog on Torrey Pines overly here. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Muni guy. I just came from Chambers Bay last night, which was a spectacular Muni to host the U.S. Open. I love the idea of having this tournament at a golf course that people actually can and do enjoy. Um, I mean, I think in our trips to Torrey Pines, maybe the coolest scene is just going to the driving range and seeing – normal people just grinding on their games at this course and seeing the the activity the vitality around this place um that's my favorite part of tory pines i think just when you think about it compared to uh some of these classic great golf courses like being at Wingfoot, uh it just has a, a different feeling um and some of the holes are just a little bit more forgettable, I think, from an architectural standpoint. So 
I think if if yeah. it sounds like we're dogging on Tory Pines, I think that that's sort of why. Yeah, and there's kind of a groundswell of people who think this isn't this isn't a major championship course, you know. And, and you know, maybe if it is, maybe the PGA Championship can go there, but the USGA doesn't need to include Tory Pines in its staple just because Tiger hit that putt. Um, now, granted, we are previewing the week. <laughs> we might have something crazy go down, you know, and that'll necessitate going back to Torrey Pines in the future for the USGA. The they But they've really kind of put the – they've drawn a line in the sand on what courses they want to go to. The next seven uh, U.S. Open courses are the Country Club at Brookline, uh, L.A. Country Club, Pinehurst, Pebble, Oakmont, Shinnecock Hills, these classic, uh, classic, classic U.S. Open and, you know, American golf staples. Torrey Pines, it just isn't one of them. And again, we'd like to be positive and I, I hope it's a great week, but it's the 73rd ranked public course in terms of uh, top 100 courses you can play by golf magazine so chances are if you can play 70 other public courses ahead of it maybe it's not the one that we need to elevate but it is a fun muni it's it's eminently uh um i guess accessible you and i have flown out to san diego multiple times as uh for work trips and landed there and basically, we booked our tea time while we were there, or we booked our tea time on the way out there. And so, anytime you have a course that the PJ Tour visits or a major championship visits, and you and I can can basically say, "Hey, do you want to play Torrey Pines South three days from now?" Chances are, you can snag a tea time. You got to be diligent. And you got to check the website, but you can get on it. And that is uh, probably the thing that that is its best asset, I guess. Yeah. All right. So one final thing. I, I don't think that majors or Ryder Cups should be held at normal tour stops. I think that that's one of the things that makes this feel like almost a little bit less special is that, look, we see this course every single year. We do. <laughs> yeah. With that We're said. We're going to see it in six months. That's right. We're going to see it again in six months. With that said, all right, putting on my hype hat here, a West Coast major absolutely rules west coast major on nbc we're gonna be you know getting fired up hearing that music coming on seeing the course seeing that long long rough uh it's gonna be lush it's gonna look good it's gonna play difficult and yeah that that west coast major it's hard to beat just because those prime time viewing hours gets the entire sports world on board in a way that's a lot harder to do when you know, a tournament is on the East Coast. I think it's going to be a great week. Uh, It's likely to produce a leaderboard that has a lot of these, you know, big hitting top tier high caliber guys. So I think that we really are in for a great tournament. Um, There's some yeah, window dressing that we might mess around with, but we're in for a great tournament. We don't know exactly what flavor it's going to be, but I am psyched to get there. Yeah. And the score, the winning score, it, it's going to be not, uh, it's not going to be low, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's probably going to be in the single digits. And I would say inside of five under, because 
the course is just so damn long. We played it from the tips with a couple of really good players back in September when the rough was not grown up. And that is just a hell of a golf course. And it's not to say that you and I should be playing US Open setups, but my gosh, it's enough to beat you down eventually. So uh, it will be, it will be, if you shoot two, two under during a round this week, you'll have played your pants off. Definitely. Woo! We played it longer than US Open, Sean. What, 7,900? They're going to tip it up to 7,650 or something this week. So they'll have it easy. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. Uh, all right, well, that's enough out of you and me. That's 45 minutes or so. Get in the van, get on the road. We've got places to be. We got places to be, Sean. I will check back in from the road later this week. 